You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and follow along and give God's word your fullest attention. Hear God's word. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you all, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you in your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll spend some time reflecting on this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would send your Spirit down with power, that these words might become for us the very words of life, that we might encounter the resurrected Christ and know what it means to be his people. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, Stephen Covey's best-selling book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you may remember Habit number two is to begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And this Sunday we have uh, three ruling elders being ordained to the office of elder at our church, and I thought it fitting to reflect on the end of the Apostle Paul's life and the man that he has become so that it might be wisdom to all of us about what it looks like to have a faithful ministry, be faithful to our Lord all the days of your life. In 2 Timothy, as this letter comes to an end, it's also the end of the dynasty, an end of one chapter and the beginning of a new. The Apostle Paul knew he was going to die. My goodness, everyone knows that they will face death, and he knew it would involve suffering. The Lord made that, our our Father, Heavenly Father, made that very clear to him from the beginning. But this time, as he's spending time in jail, the political climate has changed after the great fire of Rome, most likely. And rather than being a respectable prisoner with his Roman citizenship, 
you know, sitting in house arrest in comfortable conditions. He's an ordinary prisoner. And he knows his departure is soon. You've got to understand this if you're going to understand what Paul is writing. And he writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he unpacks to him what it looks like for a faithful servant to end well. And this is what I want to reflect on this morning, and I want you to think about what does it look like to end well. And I want to say there's a lot that could be said here, but there is at least four marks of one who walks in stride with the Spirit, who lives as a servant for God, and ends well. What are the marks of a servant who has no need to be ashamed, who ends well, whether you're an elder or you're a congregant at this church, or you're even visiting. The Apostle Paul is going to show that to end well, he's going to end craving gospel fellowship. He's going to end confronted with gospel suffering. He's going to end continuing in his gospel calling, and he's going to end confident in God's faithfulness. These are the four things I want to look at, and I'll move relatively quickly. So what are the marks of a servant of our Lord who ends well, who has no need to be ashamed of the way he or she conducted their lives. Well, what do we see in the ending of the Apostle Paul? Well, here he is sitting in prison, and what can you almost, it's almost impossible to miss. He is craving what I'm calling gospel fellowship. He's craving that his brothers and and the people of God would come near to him, that he would be close with them at the very end of his life, all the way to the end. He's craving this kind of fellowship. You can't miss it. Look at verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. He says, do your best to come by winter in verse 21. Woven throughout this whole passage is almost the Apostle Paul bluntly and aggressively saying, I need you here. I want to be with you for no other reason than I want to be near you. Come soon. Timothy was certainly his son in the faith, and this is why he remembers him and longs for him. He remembers him with tears. But Paul, towards the end of his life, is also extremely lonely. Demas has deserted him. Crescens... Titus, Tychicus, Erastius, Trophimus, they've had to be sent elsewhere for gospel ministry. It's just Luke who's with him. And Paul misses Timothy. He's craving that friendship that only two Christians can really know of, a sweet fellowship in the Lord, a closeness. Paul feels abandoned by all. He says at his first defense, no one came to stand by him. Everyone deserted him. And what is he craving? He wants gospel fellowship. Listen, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. Three times he was shipwrecked, beaten by rod, stoned. He stood before Caesar. He was snuck out of cities before he would have been killed. He built a huge ministry team. It's estimated in current dollars he probably raised half a million dollars just for his third missionary journey to share the good news of Jesus. He was a strong man. He was strong. He was confident in the Lord. He really was. And yet, what do we see at the end of his life? Being strong, being confident, being firmly rooted in the gospel does not mean you do not need Christian fellowship. He still needs people. He still needs God's people to be near, and in this case, especially his brother and his son in the faith, Timothy. He feels alone. He needs fellowship. He needs people who understand him. Listen, this shouldn't surprise us. For some reason, I don't know about you, but a message has been passed on to me That the older you get and the more mature you get in your Christian walk, the more disconnected and detached you get from the local church and from God's people. My hunch is this is because so many of us get burned by the local church. There's some sort of relational conflict and we have to part ways. And we start seeing and looking towards mature people and we see them as disconnected 
from the fellowship of God's people. In fact, they're insulated. One more moral moral failure, they can take it because they've been around the block once or twice. Not the Apostle Paul. He feels abandoned by everyone and he's not okay. He's craving Christian fellowship. Do you realize our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, from the moment he calls his disciples really to that ending point at the cross, he is always with other people. Think about that. Think about that. We have a very individualistic understanding of Christianity. Jesus didn't. Paul doesn't. This is a mark of someone who is going to end well. They're going to cultivate these kind of gospel friendships, this gospel fellowship, and they're going to crave them to their last dying breath. They're going to say, be near to me. Sing to me. Read scripture to me. Remind me of God's promises. Remind me of those times, those fun times we had together. Laugh with me. Cry with me. This is the mark of someone who ends well. Second mark of someone who ends well that I want to direct your attention to is they are someone who's confronted by gospel suffering. Now, where do we see this? Well, it's hard to miss in this passage as well. Paul's sitting in jail. He's been abandoned by Demas. Alexander the coppersmith did him great harm. At his first hearing, where he stood trial, looked over at his supporter section, and there was no one there supporting him. He's rescued from the mouth of the lion, possibly a reference to the Colosseum. But he's writing as one sitting in jail, bound as a criminal, likely in a maritime prison. There's a man named Charles Quarters. He's a scholar. He wrote a book called The Illustrated Life of Paul, and he writes about the prison conditions that Paul was likely under during this time. Listen to this. The prisoners were often first clothed or stripped of their clothing and flogged until a false confession was produced. They never got their clothes back from the moment they were flogged, and why would they? There was, with no little clothing, they were sent shivering to a cold, damp, dungeon-like condition with lacerations still bleeding. After the flogging, they were thrown into these crowded cells, and yet they were bound by shackles on their wrists and ankles. To describe it as unsanitary would be an understatement. It would have been impossible not to get an infection. There were no baths, no toilets. There was a certain time where the guards would call, and one time a day, all the prisoners would be left to leave the cell so they could use the washroom. Anything in between, they just used on the floors. Prisoners found it difficult, if not impossible, to sleep. Nauseating odors, gnawing hunger, hard cobblestone floors, the coughs and the screams and the incoherent babbling of their fellow prisoners in the cell and down the hall. The shackles consistently bit into the prisoner's flesh, all to make it such that sleeping was virtually impossible. And this is the condition our Apostle Paul's in. And what is he asking for? I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. This spiritual giant who saw people raised from the dead, who had a a vision of the resurrected Jesus, what does he want? He said, "Could could you bring my winter coat, my cloak? It's getting cold. Paul experienced that blessed beatitude. He knew the blessing of being persecuted for, Christ, for righteousness' sake. He was filling up what was lacking in Christ's suffering as he taught in Colossians. He knew he was going to suffer from his conversion, and yet to the very end, his suffering only seems to be compounded. He suffers and he suffers. I don't know about you, but my hunch is the more faithful I am to Christ, the less he will require me to suffer. The more obedient I am to my heavenly Father, the more I follow his will, the less I will find myself experiencing suffering. Do you not feel that way? Mark of someone who's faithful to the end with nothing to be ashamed. 
Apostle Paul shows us suffering all the way to the end, begging for his coat. So the mark of someone who ends well, craving gospel fellowship, confronted with gospel suffering. Third, we could say the mark of someone who ends well, a servant who has no need to be ashamed as he's continuing in his gospel calling. Well, where do we see this? Well, first off, Paul is giving this update, and he's, and he's spouting off all these names. Here he is sitting in prison, probably miserable, absolutely unable to sleep, as I just read, in horrid conditions. And what has he done? Demas, he's done. He's walked away, Timothy. He's given him, he's, given, he's like a general. He's given, he's given his report out to his men. Crescens, he's in Galatia. I sent Timothy to Dalmatia. I sent Tychicus. We ended up putting him in Ephesus. Trophimus is ill. He's in Miletus. He's saying, I, uh, I left some resources with Carpus at Troas. Grab Mark as well while you're there. He's useful to me. To the very end, Paul is acting like a general calling shots. Watch out. Watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. He did me great harm. He'll do the same to you. He's calling together all his associates. He's, he's showing his, his ledger. He's showing his sheet saying, here's where all of my investments have been made. These investments in the kingdom. Here's where, the, here's where they are. I hope to see them multiplying. He's fulfilling and continuing his gospel calling to the end. He's in his war room, despite it being a prison, explaining how the kingdom is going to move forward. This is specifically what God had called him to do, and he's doing it all the way to the end. No one was with him at his defense, and yet at his defense, he proclaimed the message of the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. All the way to the end, what is he asking for? He's saying, bring the books. My wife's not here. You might want to remind her this good faithful ministry, you're always going to need more books, okay? <laughs> right now we're having a little battle about how many books are allowed in the house. Kendall's saving the day of my marriage, but bring the books. Bring the parchment. Think about this. Luke is with him. It's Paul. It's Luke. He says, bring Mark and bring the parchments. Could it be that right then and there, Luke writes the gospel of Luke? Mark writes Mark? Could it be that right then and there, we have a huge percentage of the New Testament being written as these parchments come to Paul as he sits and rots away in prison? I don't know, but it's interesting to think about. But one thing I do know is Paul considered his calling to spread the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And to the very end, he wants his parchments and he wants his books so they can reflect on the promises of God in the Old Testament and think through how they are going to continue to be fulfilled in Christ and are being fulfilled in Christ. To the end, he's faithful to this gospel calling that has been put on his life. I don't know if you saw any of these uh, documentaries about Queen Elizabeth II, but maybe one of the most moving ones to me was when she was a young girl and she took this vow. She said this, I declare before you on national television to all the commonwealth, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. And as Queen Elizabeth II died, she was faithful to that calling. She, that vow she took, she was true to the end. The Apostle Paul, in a very real way, had a calling put upon his life to serve a greater king in a greater imperial house. He's serving King Jesus, and he was faithful to the very end in this gospel calling. Paul's, Paul here is showing us something very important. That some of us believe God has called us to certain things, and those certain things are related to natural talents that we have or natural skills that we have. And very often, God has asked us to do things. Be, be a faithful witness to, say, the banking industry. You have a, a mind that can calculate numbers quickly. Be a faithful witness, or a faithful witness in this particular realm. And what we're seeing in the Apostle Paul, though, is that his calling, he knew, was something that God had given him, and it wasn't just based on his particular skills or talents. 
It was a gift given from God, and it was a duty that he is bound to do all the days of his life. You see, there's a reason why so many, I'll just say, I'll just pick on pastors, but so many pastors experience burnout and frustration. It's because so much of how we process and understand our calling is related to our gifts and the particular skills the Lord has given to us, not based on a calling from God that we'll do whether we feel competent or not. Not the Apostle Paul, to the very end. He's faithful in his gospel calling. In our tradition, ruling elders are ordained for life. It's actually quite complicated to get rid of one. Even if they want to be, if they no longer want to be a ruling elder, there's a whole process to it. The calling that you're about to see as these three men take vows is a calling that they will continue in their gospel calling to the ends of days, to the last day of their life, to the best of their ability. It's a deep calling. Okay, so what have we seen? What's the mark of a servant who ends well? Craving gospel fellowship, confronted by gospel suffering, continued, continuing in the gospel calling, and finally, fourthly, the mark of a servant who ends well is that they're confident in God's faithfulness. We see this woven throughout the passage. Even as Paul talks about Alexander the coppersmith doing him great harm, he doesn't say, listen, listen, Timothy. You know, he did me great harm. Um, you know, do the right thing to him. Get him. I don't, I don't care how you do it. No, he says the Lord will judge him. To the very end, he says, we, we don't need to worry about Alexander the coppersmith. Be careful around him, but the Lord will take care of him. God will repay him. Paul is confident in God's faithfulness. Even more so, we see this in verses 16 through 18. Actually, I'd invite some of you maybe who are more students of the Bible to reflect on this week. But in verses 16 to 18, there's very good reason to believe the Apostle Paul is alluding to the 22nd Psalm in how he's reflecting on his experience. Time doesn't permit me to fully explore it, but the psalmist in Psalm 22 feels deserted like Paul. The psalmist finds himself wondering where God's presence is, as Paul sort of talks about in the face of the lion. And yet the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness in times of old. And this becomes a source of strength for the psalmist, as it is also for Paul. And Psalm 22 ends with these beautiful promises that the salvation God has given to Israel will extend to the ends of the earth. In a mysterious way, Paul sees himself as following in this great footsteps of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and following in the great footsteps of all of God's people of old, and being the means by which God's faithfulness will be displayed, despite the fact that he is sitting, sitting in jail. The Apostle Paul trusts that God is absolutely present and will prove to be faithful, though he feels as though everyone else is absent. He feels as though uh, that, that there is no one near him. He is trusting that the Lord will show up and prove to be faithful in the end. Not in spite of the suffering, okay, but actually through the suffering. This is how the Lord's faithfulness will be proved. Not in spite of the suffering, not like the Lord's going to surprisingly do a trick and get around the suffering, but through the suffering is going to be the means in which God's faithfulness will be demonstrated. And Paul's reflecting on this 22nd Psalm, and he's saying it's going to be, uh, the, the salvation is going to go to the ends of the earth, and it's partially because I'm sitting here rotting in jail, and I get to stand before counsel. What am I trying to argue or what am I trying to say? You've listened very well today. Either that or maybe it's just really warm and it lulls you to sleep. But I'm trying to argue before you this. This is a mark of someone who ends well, but it's certainly a mark of what good leadership looks like in the Christian church. And leadership looks like it always takes the pattern, it always takes the shape of the cross, okay? It's always cruciformed. This is what Christian leadership looks like. And whatever the Lord has called you to lead, whether that's a small household or whether that's a church, 
It will always take and look and reflect the pattern of the cross, the very path in which our Lord Jesus walked. You see, Paul sees this cross-shaped, cruciform path in front of him, and he walks in delight through the suffering. And he's as certain as Jesus Christ died for his sins and died on that cross. He also rose from the dead. And Paul is confident no matter what, that is the last chapter. He too, his life is bound up with Christ. He'll spend his whole life spreading uh, God's kingdom that has been pushed forward through Christ. And on the last day, he trusts that he too will be resurrected to glory and God's faithfulness will be on full display. What's the mark of a servant that ends well? They end craving gospel fellowship, confronted with gospel suffering, continuing in the gospel calling, and confident in God's faithfulness. Here's what I'm trying to say, Christ Church Toronto. Church, people of God, anyone who's visiting, never forget this. Never forget this. Never was there a greater tragedy than that moment when our Lord Jesus Christ was pulled off that cross and all seemed lost. There'll be numerous times in your life where you're going to feel as though all is lost, all is failure. And this passage is reminding us that after that tragic death, which seemed as though all was lost, The Lord resurrected Jesus from the dead, and so also this becomes a paradigm for us. Our resurrection is in days to come, and it is sure and is certain, and this will give us the strength and guidance to walk through the trials that are before us. The Lord will rescue us from every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, on this special day in which we add new leaders and officers to our church. And as we reflect on the ending of ministry of the Apostle Paul, we realize, we realize that we have a lot of work cut out for us. And that there's certainly days ahead of suffering, of feeling abandoned, of exhaustion and disappointment. And yet, no matter what we face, your faithfulness is going to be proved over and over and over again. So would you send your spirit afresh upon us, your people, to make us into the type of leaders, whatever leadership position you may have called us towards, that we could walk in the shape of the cross and the shadow of the cross with great confidence that your kingdom might expand here in Toronto and around this entire world. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.